Got it. Okay. I'm gonna make sure the robot lady sings before we start. Exactly. 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 Oh my god. Seema, Jean, yeah. Jean, Seema. Nice to finally meet you. <laughs> we talk about you like every week. You, you just burn of, every Saturday morning. I've heard. I feel like I know you. Sophie talks about you all the time. So <laughs> we spend a lot of time together. We do. And Jean is like, I call him my grad school husband, and that's because. I suppose we became the closest out of most people in that cohort. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, when we first went onto Zoom, Gene set me as his his Zoom background and didn't know how to change it, and just ended up starting this lie within his like people outside of grad school that I was his wife. <laughs> it just stuck. It worked. <laughs> So why don't we, because I feel like we're going to immediately chit-chat. Mm-hmm. You want to crack us? Crack yeah, the egg? Gonna... You want to do the intro? Sure, I have to get it. I have to read it. Otherwise, I'll say it wrong. Just give me a sec. Take your time. Um, even though I have it memorized, I like to read it. I get it. Welcome to the Art Loss Podcast, where we make art accessible. I'm Seema. I'm Jean. <laughs> and I'm Sophie, and I have a mouthful of toast. So I'm excited to talk to Jean, but first I want to remind everybody, we can't make this happen without your support. So how can you support us? Well, the first thing is you can follow our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can review us. You can rate us. You can subscribe again on both platforms. You can show all kinds of people that you love us. We really appreciate all of that support. And we also appreciate our Patreon. We um, use the money to help us produce these. And we want to come to you every week. But mm-hmm. we really do need that support to make that yeah. happen. We want to so, bring more people to you and more that's content. Right. That's right. But we will visit you and talk to you about your art digitally, virtually. Um, emotionally, I don't know. Um, and spiritually, we, spiritually. <laughs> uh, but we do really enjoy doing those studio visits. So yeah. with um, your support, we can absolutely do that. So should we start with art, yay or nay? Since you know Jean, pick a thing. Oh shit! I haven't even thought of anything. For this, sorry, pick I was thing. just so excited. So Jean, I've I've decided that I wanted to make this like slightly entertaining. So there's like segments and shit. I didn't tell you any of this. I'm sorry. That's alright. <laughs> but uh, because a lot of the inspiration that we get and a lot of the kind of grounding basis of our conversations is the internet and TikTok. Like okay. a lot. Because that's where like everyday culture happens. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we'll take something that we've seen and we'll kind of try and decide whether or not uh, it can be considered contemporary art. Wow. So how about um, Barbie Dreamhouse? Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. That's actually a really good one. <laughs> Because I'm getting so much fucking Barbie content. I'm producing Barbie content all of a sudden. Whoa. Gotta stay relevant. Gotta stay relevant. Gotta stay relevant. Shit, man. I think, given the set design, I think it might be. So art is purposeful? Oh, well, I guess, Jean, what do you think is art? What makes something... You went went through the ringer of grad school. What do you think art is? Am I the best candidate to say there's a bullshit component to it, and then there's just this component where somebody creates freely there's Ooh, this no you're right on brand 
<laughs> I mean, there's this institutionalized context that only says this can be deemed art because I got to make sure my gallery owners owners can buy it or museums are interested in it. Okay. And then there are just the people who create, who sometimes if you go to the, is it the Whitney, Sophie, where you have this guy, he has his whole setup outside. Outside, that, it's the Whitney. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I and love I'm just that. Like, this is so interesting because he has work that's, some of it's really good. He and has a variety of work. Certainly he, he does. There's a variety. And I'm just like, wow, he's literally outside. If one was to say he's literally outside of the institution, that would be it. So he's an outside, he's an outsider. <laughs> he's an outsider. <laughs> but I just, I think there are those who freely create untethered to what the institution wants. Mm -hmm. And then I think there's beautiful art that plays inside of the institutional confinement. Yeah, that's really well said. That's really well said. We've so been then saying what does that big mean A for... and little a Otwells. So yeah. what does that mean for Barbie Dreamhouse? Is it art Gross. or not art? It's going to have a cultural impact. I think it's a beautiful mm -hmm. uh, cultural encapsulation of a object that has been around. You have been to graduate school. Yes, and I, it has <laughs> been around. And I know it's been around because I used to take, I used to take my little sister's Barbie, and long before I saw a design Barbie dress, uh -huh. I would design her dresses. Uh... Then of course she couldn't play with Barbie anymore. Let her tell it, but <laughs> I would design it. So. Uh, and it inspire art. I think it's gonna happen. I mean, the way it's being drummed up. Oh my yeah, God. So, um, I this week, yesterday, I um, the reason I was saying I was putting up Barbie content is one, I was putting. I always try to make it relevant, otherwise people don't even listen to me about art. Right. But yesterday, some Brazilian guy who I don't know, but somebody on Twitter. Um, I saw that he was making Barbie dream houses inspired by famous architects based on AI. Oh, wow. And so last night, I just thought they were cool. And I just put up a quick video. And I knew that there was only two women on that list of 16 because architecture is that way. Because I knew what the architects were, right? So I wasn't like, it wasn't like I was like, oh, wait, they're all, they're all men. But it's architecture. It's, well, you know, like that's how you are. So, and most of them are white. They obviously excerpted, uh, did not do it, David Adage after his recent <laughs> problems. And so, um, no, there was, there, they had at least one or two Japanese artists. So, somebody mentioned this morning, oh, but they're all Kens, which they aren't. But this person didn't realize because the, the women who were there Ooh. was Lena Bobardi and Zaha Hadid, right? So, those aren't names that people immediately saw as women's names. So this morning I was looking at women architects, which I have to admit, I was like, you know, I don't, I'm not an architectural historian. I'm very much a straight art historian. So like, mm -hmm. unless you've like pushed over to, <laughs> to art or designed a museum, I'm, I'm not necessarily that good with architects, but so I did have to do a little bit lo of looking and I was thinking about uh, these female architects, many of which are like late 20th century, 21st century, and how many of them, if any of them played with Barbies, like if any of them mm. had a dream house, you know, like you think about um, uh, the person who did the, um, 
you know, that really beautiful, uh, I'm going to think of the name of the person in a second. Is it, is it um, Elizabeth? Is it Elizabeth Bartlett? I have to look at her name. But the, it looks like it's um, undulating and um, architecture. And I was like, I wonder if this woman who looks like she's around a little bit older than me, maybe around my age, if she um, uh, played with Barbie. Elizabeth Diller, oh. that's her name. Well, that would be interesting. Elizabeth Diller. Right? Like, you know, like that, 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 that I think that to me, like, if art does have cultural impact, I do think what you said at the beginning is that it can be artful or design perhaps and inspire art. Yeah. All right, Sophie. Um, look, I think it's ultimately going to be a movie, I think, because like the people are trying to really push, like, it's so diverse the casting is really gonna sing through but like i don't really care um i think I the think set it... design is the coolest part yeah i was i did say the dream house because i don't know about the movie but <laughs> i think the movie will be interesting because they made it so diverse they made sure to pick very specific but they've cherry-picked Ar archetypes um, right yeah archetypes. like my friend yeah yeah like America Ferrara, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about her. Um, I loved Ugly Betty when it came out, and it's such a uh -huh. different era now. And I look at it, look back at it, and I think, okay, wasn't that big and wasn't ugly? Wasn't at all. <laughs> right? Wasn't at all ugly and wasn't that big. Now I do think that when I was watching it, I didn't think she was either. Like I don't uh -huh. think I thought she was ugly or fat then. But now, when you look at the jokes, you're like, what are we doing here, guys? I mean, <laughs> it, would, it would never fly today. No. <laughs> There's TV for the 2000s, really. I, so much of it would not fly today. Like, so, yeah. so much. Even, you know, like my, I always think of it. Um, one of the things that really strikes me is that um, so much of one thing that's hard for people about art is that it's persistent. And most of the media we consume mm -hmm. is temporal. Yeah, Tem temporary and temporal. Uh. And so like I was thinking about how important one of them. I think like there's so many shows I'm, we're tr I was trying to explain to my kids like how important like the CW was, you know, like when we started seeing people of color, like a channel just with people of color. I, I mean, like a different world was important, but it was like it was like the one thing. But then we get in uh. living color and then we got like, you know, I mean, a variety of different shows. And yeah, I, I was gotta say to that it. content did not reach Australia. <laughs> no, maybe, but we like everybody I knew watched In Living Color. Everybody yeah. I knew watched like Mad TV or whatever. And I was trying to explain it to them, but like it's hard because a lot of those jokes, like you can't make those jokes now. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like I don't know what they were watching, and I was like, "Oh, what Living Single?" There was a joke mm. on Living Single, and I was like, "No, no, no, this was okay in the nineties." <laughs> yes. So, as people who have, like, lived through it a bit, because you were both roughly the same age, I think, from your perspectives... Ageless, you mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, do, you, do you think the sensitivity that we have now and, like, how things are censored differently is good or bad? Sorry, there's a kid there. <laughs> Leela. Jane's smiling. Okay, you can set your boundaries with your sister all you want in another room. 
Sorry, gang. Sorry about that, Gene. Such a fucking no funny sentence. You can set your boundaries with your sister in another room. I am setting my boundary as this room. <laughs> now go. <laughs> That's great. All right. So you were so mm. so, Gene. What do you think? I mean, I, I do feel like we're probably around the same age. Um, I, I believe you are. Yeah. I I think it's. I think the sensitivity level is so cranked to the max that you would have to design a room just full of plastic wrap furniture for people to walk through today. Because it's impossible for me just culturally never not to upset the other person. But we're in this world where we're actively engaged that we don't want anybody to ever be uncomfortable. Well, and I just I think agree. that's an unrealistic expectation with all of the cultures that sit on this planet all the different thought processes <laughs> i also think i think you're exactly right i also wonder how much we actually learn when we don't get uncomfortable yeah. like i think of a lot of the learning um i you know grew i grew up in a pretty in a like in a in a place that was both very diverse and some and very segregated Atlanta. so right like so like it was yeah. uh, I grew, i'm from cleveland and um you know, I grew up with lots of people, lot, everyone I grew up with spoke different languages, like, you know, I, but at the same time, um, we used to say that, uh, people used to say, and I think it's probably still true in America, but certainly in Cleveland, that um, uh, you know how people really are from where they go on Sundays. Yes. You know, and, and like, but I can think of all kinds of times that now somebody would call that a microaggression, either that I did towards somebody or somebody did towards me, right? Like talking about hair as a kid, well, right? Like when you were a kid and like I, and my kids even, like I remember my daughter really wanted those plastic clips. One of her friends had all the plastic clips and, and beads. And I was like, oh, we oh don't do God. that. It's like my childhood. Like I was like, oh, we don't do that. But I remember having that memory too, because, you know, Tasha had it. You know, and so she wanted it because Elise had it. Like, but those are things now I think that like people would sort of that's it's harder to have those experiences when we're pushing ourselves and our kids to and everybody to not have those kinds of cultural moments. Right. Tim, I think you're correct. I taught art at a school recently in Queens mm. and I. So I was deep in Queens, the last stop, by the way, on the <laughs> seven, on the oh seven, the seven line, baby, a seven, then a bus to the location. Oh my God. Wow. You really were experiencing I was Queens. Deep. deep in Queens. So I think, and speaking with the kids, they were very culturally diverse mm -hmm. from the Asian diaspora, mm -hmm. but they were cracking jokes with the black kids and the mm -hmm. brown kids. Yeah. Now, that would get us canceled if we did that. So that's exactly right. That's exactly. Yes. My daughter says the to Queen's me, experience. My daughter. So I have to admit, my husband and I are old, right? So at home, we might make a joke, and like my husband is white, and so we often tell him like he's our, um, he's like our like hostage. Token straight. He's guy. our token white guy. Like, yeah. we're like, so what do you think white guys think? And he's like, you cannot, my daughter's always like, you cannot talk like this in public. Now I'm talking on a podcast about it. But, but. No, we um, want the whole internet to hear. I think it actually could be a really great selling point for this podcast where you're like, hey, hey, 
token white man, come here. I have a question. <laughs> like, but, it's great. <laughs> or like, what? She has my most of my daughter's friends are multi ethnic, um, but she has one white friend. And I like, I came down, and all of her eight friends were they were happened to be Asian. And I was like, what did I say? I said something. Oh, what? Because I'm Asian, you think I like rice? Like she had asked something like that, and the poor and the all the Asian kids laughed. <laughs> um, and then the poor white girl looked at me like I have no idea what I'm supposed to do I know I'm supposed to be polite <laughs> to my friend's mom and laugh but I know I'm not allowed to laugh at this joke and like she was so and I said I'm sorry I'm sorry I don't want to say her name That's on this podcast. so funny I'm sorry and we always but Maya and I always laugh about how I, I was like I didn't mean to make you uncomfortable I forgot you were here like I didn't mean it but no, it's I think, good. It's, it's good for white kids to experience being in that point of tension that they never well, get put I, in. Well, she, she's a very sweet girl. But um, <laughs> I actually think that what we're talking about also is a thing that I think is interesting is that despite us having more of these norms, we're also actually more intellectually segregated. Like the school mm-hmm. that you talk about in Queens, I would guess they're like socioeconomically segregated. <laughs> That yeah. I think actually, like, we have not decreased our level of segregation. And thanks to, like, you know, basically people working from home, people moving the suburbs, I think just culturally, we have so few instances where we have to be in discomfort. Um, yes. I think that's what I was funny to me. I was trying not to laugh as the sub in the room because the little bo- one little boy got in trouble and, they, and he was like, I have rights. I have rights. <laughs> It's America that he goes dryly. Oh, I forgot, but I'm Asian. And I was <laughs> trying not to laugh because, and the whole I would class, not be able to hold it back. I would have laughed. The whole I would have laughed. Burst out laughing. Oh my and then God. I started laughing. And then he said, Mr. T, it's cool. And I was just like, got it. As long as there are no phones, we're okay here, God. And that was the day, all day, with them just cracking on one another that's so funny and i was just like so in the whole outside world we're out here putting up padding and you guys well, are actively saying we don't that's want right it. we don't yeah. want it that's the thing i think that is interesting because yeah. i will say that so despite that one story about that one kid at our house my daughter and her friends are much more like like you know like there's certain things that they don't make jokes about i would say like actually one thing that i know from my generation like the, you know, like Kate Moss was like the ideal of beauty when I was in high school. And um, that actually one thing I do think that they're much better at is body positivity. Yeah. That they're like, you know, like they're much more like, mom, you cannot, like you have to remember that, like whatever. I don't know. Um, Everyone's just like a little bit more sensible. Yeah, that part mm. I think is sensible. What I think actually they're much more sensible about is and I think Drinking. they're very—they're much more. Yeah, they're like very. Yeah. I think there's things that I also think that they're much better about gender. Like, they don't—they don't ever. We have a you know number of friends who are non-binary. They ne- they don't ever misgender people. I've yeah. noticed they're very good yeah. at that. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I think that they will push back against is this idea that you're talking about, Gene, that we have to be so closeted. Yeah. And cover, you know, and and you know, covered and cared for. Um, I don't yeah. know that they're like that. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't like. I said something the other day. Like, oh, you know, they, those the Filipinos are they fry everything or something. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, 
never said that Urban Legends said that? And she was like, well, yeah, they do. They're like, everything they bring for, she brings for, like, the, you know, the, they have, like, a multicultural potluck or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all the, like, this and that. It's all, like, unhealthy. But that's I like so it funny. anyway or something. But I was like, you know, I, that's interesting that we, I would feel sort of uncomfortable saying that. They don't? No. It was, sort of, it was a refreshing experience because the kids were just, and I've worked maybe like 35 schools in New York City because I've really been trying to understand the the wealth distribution Interesting. in relation to where art exists and where it doesn't. Uh-huh. Interesting. And how that informs the kids. Yeah, see, I knew you guys were going to vibe real uh-huh. hard. <laughs> I, Gene, I've been angling for ages to get you on here. <laughs> so where where does it overlap? Sadly... Just my own lived yeah. experience moving through the school system, it is highly segregated. Yeah. It matches the zip codes and the neighborhoods in a very specific way. And mm-hmm. if I'm in a particular area of Manhattan, my kids are telling me what shows to go see. Mm-hmm. If they come in ready to discuss, mm-hmm. we went to see mm-hmm. this show. And then if mm-hmm. I'm in another location in Manhattan, my kids are looking at me like, gallery, what's that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, I draw, mm-hmm. and that's it. And I'm, and then when I'm in Queens, I'm noticing I'm literate, but the kids may be interested in the science or something else, but they are aware of the arts mm-hmm. in some manner, whether it be music, mm-hmm. whether it be performance, they're aware. And then in other mm-hmm. neighborhoods, my art closet is just dried up, mm-hmm. broken crayons without the covers. And so certain schools, I guess they call it STEAM, where they integrate art. And then certain schools, it's just STEM. (laughs) And I'm just not allowed to allow my students to draw. Like, we don't want them doodling. And I'm like, it's not doodling. (laughs) Not doodling. It's meaning making. It's meaning making. (laughs) You know what I think is so interesting? It's actually very similar, I'd say, in Cleveland. um, That, And it's it's interesting. I wouldn't, it's it's an interesting thing, because I also worked in schools for many years. I think it's interesting that it isn't exactly socioeconomic. I think when we decide, at least in Cleveland, that it's not always socioeconomic. Certainly, like for certain kinds of art, like the knowing where the museum is or getting to the museum, it's either proximity sometimes. So there's a lot of like places right around the museum that get museum district that get field trips and stuff like that. But um, but it's also there's I think there's a couple of things like. It is sort of about socioeconomics and access, but it's also about like maybe cultural background or like, because I think that a thing that I'm always struck by is when you're in a community that say here, Greek Orthodox, and they have visual imagery and music in, in their community, then they see that. Or um, here like Bhutanese, we have a Bhutanese community, we have a Nepali community. So they they might not, see a museum but they see visual culture or music or arts like arts becomes integrated i think one of the sadnesses about our contemporary world to me is that art is one commodified and tied up into a certain little box but it's also that we've done away with so much folk art yeah yeah no it's true because i because i think one of the things that especially as artists, because, Jean, I do want to talk to you more about the art that you make as well. Um, when creativity is something that kind of happens 
for you like in thought most days and kind of it's part of your everyday life I think that especially when contemporary art is so kind of like city focused as well like artists aren't allowed to go and live remotely and create things kind of in their own spaces really like you especially in the contemporary art space you really have to be you know in a city um and I feel like that's where some of those segregations and I and like separations come from I guess is like if you're not kind of in proximity to the money then you're more likely to be kind of in this space of working in rural areas working in you know spaces that aren't considered where art comes from and then you kind of get you know delegated to that space of folk or you know craft art it feels like a combination of kind of all of those forces you know that wasn't very connected i'm sorry no i think you make a <laughs> i think you make a good point and what sima says about folk art and so remember i told you like and i grew up in atlanta yeah. so for me beauty was always with women in my life and um very centralized, very black community. Didn't have these conversations of, I'm, I'm not beautiful. And so I grew up in an environment where the women were curvy yeah. and wore those shorts long before they became a thing. <laughs> so around me, there, the High Museum of Art was really 20 minutes away, yeah. but no engagement we uh, would have never known it existed except for uh, just going to downtown uh, Atlanta. because it's we never saw it like there were never uh, no which neighborhood did you grow up in Atlanta? i grew up sorry. in atlanta it would have been yes. called harry home uh-huh but it uh somewhere in the 90s there was an active movement to rid the city of all of the yeah. inner city housing yeah 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 what's and it called so, now uh call your height Oh yeah. Okay. And the and the houses okay. are now like three hundred to five hundred thousand dollars. So it's I've crazy, gone... right? Atlanta. Did you crazy. see that video I sent you yesterday, Jean, where yeah. Atlanta is like the most overpriced in terms of real estate in like the whole country right now? Yes. So is when it? Yeah. I go home, yeah, I, go home it... I drive through just to see. Wow. But... My husband's family um, lived in Decatur. Yeah, I know he was Decatur. in GE Brat, and I was telling my father though many years ago. Now I had gone. I've. I had uh, one a couple of times gone to the Hive for work, and because um, I used to be in museums, and um, so one time we were in Decatur for something, and even in Decatur they had they have completely knocked down all the old houses and built crazy McMansions. Yeah. Um, and his father was like, "But we had a completely good, solid house. Like, why did they knock it down?" Because I took a, he wanted me to see it and take a picture. Wow. Yeah, and so when you say folk art. I think about all the colorful bows, mm-hmm. all the quilt making, mm-hmm. all the pattern making, all the things I would have seen, mm-hmm. been predisposed mm-hmm. to, yeah, but had not even considered that part of a contemporary art conversation because the contemporary art conversation was over there. Well, that's true. Right. The folk art that's museum true, right? is a whole separate museum in New York, right? Yeah. They're like, yeah, it's and over even here. Then it's, well, and even then, I think it's often... To be nominated in it, you know, takes like a 
you know, that there's like a thing for me at the American Folk Art Museum. I do enjoy it. It's not mm-hmm. about the museum, but it's even like the to nominate something in folk art means that it has to have a certain, it has to have like an edge taken off of it almost. Yeah. Well, it has to be sanitized for like yeah. consumption, right? Yeah. 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 Because like I think about, um, you know, a thing that I often love is people's front yards. You know, like the, all the, we, you know, <laughs> We the neighborhood next to our neighborhood has a lot of those like still the little fewer and fewer of them, but the old ladies who put the fake flowers in front. <laughs> I love to see those. I love those, and yeah. you know, like, and like that these people are creating beauty. Wow. Right, it's it's beauty, or like, you are right. I I do think there's such an artistry to you know like hairstyles. Yeah. I do. I I remember when my daughter said, "I want those little." those little plastic things because I remember as a kid so being jealous of those you know because they they would you know it would be like so artful right like they're mm-hmm. like had it wasn't I mean it wasn't like somebody was just putting any color it always like matched it looked so great um and I think one thing that is sad is that we also have made it so that those people who put beauty in their lives do not feel like artists yeah that was art school. <laughs> well, because that also encapsulates like a lot of women as well. I think, mm-hmm. you know. Well, I do, I do yeah. think though it's not that it. This is an mm-hmm. argument that happens often on my TikTok channel. I don't think that it's you're also be- a shit sterile. <laughs> I do enjoy starting this argument. Yeah, I made okay. it as if I made it made it sound as if I, it was I was just randomly starting. No, I did, no, I no, didn't no, start no, it no, at no. All. You set it up. <laughs> I throw did. Some, I did. throw some sparks. Throw some spark. Yeah, that's oh, every that's week. specialty. That's every week on my TikTok channel. Um, but <laughs> this week I haven't actually done too bad. Um, mm. I meant to, but it didn't really turn out that way. Uh, I did a video about incels yesterday. <laughs> didn't bite. Um, I didn't say their names though, so maybe that's why. Because they're a little uh, bit slow on the pickup. But anyway, maybe they'll find you. Maybe they will. Uh, but I do think that part of the reason it's often women who are finding beauty and making beauty in their lives is because also our society does not make it easy for men who want to do that. No, not at all. Jean, would you like to talk to us about some of your art and what you do with your art? Yes, I thought it would be a good segue. Such a good segue. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're good at them. <laughs> Love. I got spanked in art school because I like the veneer. Not in a good way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not in a way that would bring excitement. But... <laughs> Just disappointment. Just bitter disappointment. Like, I actively enjoy the veneer of mm. glamour. Mm. In a space where people wanted me to strip and nothing annoyed me more than people like oh we want to see the real and i'm so fuck you talking about the real look at the news that's the fucking real you yeah know? so i would actively avoid it to the displeasure of almost every crit <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> because it was reamed it and i was committed i was just like you know what i know the real world like mm-hmm. i've lived it uh-huh. I know what that quote unquote realness is and it's so uh-huh. um, no the lack the word I use is just trauma porn is what they Yeah, right. What the space wants. That's right. That's right. And especially if you're somebody who is um not white, but particularly black. 
But, yes. you know, like that there is there's a real desire in the American art world to have people of color perform mm. what they perceive is being a person of color. Yes. And they would. <laughs> and I would have to explain to them that like white soccer moms came into the black community and was like, we're looking for kids to help. Oh, yeah. And for, I yeah. just happened to have the external and visual communication skills and verbal to be just sanitized enough to not be a real representation of the inner city. Because our circumstances only changed by virtue of the divorce. And so my mother was never always, she was like, look, we live here, but this is not who we are. So she was always educational educational focused. But I'm coming up in a time when you have dynasty, press. Yeah, we are the same yeah, I'm just I'm seeing. Oh, I don't see this around here. Where is that around here? And so then we would just go hang out in Buckhead, which is the rich mm. part. That's yeah, the, it is. Just to see this visual narrative of Learn. wealth that we were saying. Learn. And all my uncles were very fit because they were very athletically inclined. And yeah. so my early visuals were always like a particular sort of male <laughs> who didn't <laughs> look like whoever these other artists were making like this black man in struggle. I was uh, like, no, put him in a suit. Let's G him up. <laughs> and it is. Yes. Yeah. I totally, I was thinking about dynasty. You know, I think your idea, this idea of realness, it's the, the other thing that's very hard for me about the art world is that, um, we purport as artists, right? We purport to be thinking about the, like the long future, right? We're, we're collecting now for the long future. But then when you are in it long enough, you see that, that, that it's really just about trends, right? And, and short-term I, and gains. Was, yeah. And short-term gains. And I was thinking about, it's funny because um, during the era of dynasty, basically, is also when Basquiat was coming up. Yeah. Right? And like, so if you think about what they what they wanted, they wanted like, so they, it was, but it was Basquiat and like, you know, Jeff Koons was making a lot of money and Andy Warhol was still making a lot of money. Mm. So for those di- people who dressed like Dynasty, and I'll say that we were, we watched sometimes Murder, She Wrote, which is also roughly contemporary, though not nearly as glamorous. And my children cannot believe people like dressed with like, like the, you know, with the shoulder pads <laughs> the and stuff. So like, no. They sure did, honey. They sure like she, oh. they cannot believe people had hair like that. I was like, they totally did. They left yeah, their that's... houses like that. But, but like, <laughs> so people were living in this sort of, you know, it's like a Baroque era, right? I think uh. that these Baroque eras come and go. Like, I think we're in a Baroque era right now with all the maximalism we see. Yeah. But we don't allow all people to take up that cultural charge. So if art is to be a representation of culture. <laughs> Should we not allow everyone to have the same response to the cultural charge? Yeah. Yeah. Capital ruined it all, eh? <laughs> so how did you, so what did, so you just pushed back? What'd you well, say? <laughs> I knew I was old enough, because I have, and I try to explain to Sophie sometimes, I was like, you have to understand, if you're pulled out of the inner city, like, I understand the hip-hop generation. Mm-hmm. But it would have glazed over me because I was pulled out mm-hmm. and I was now being mm-hmm. toured around mm-hmm. these women's husbands' companies mm-hmm. on Saturday mm-hmm. or being exposed to things yeah. I would have never seen. Yeah. So I was of that time, but not of that time. So you mm-hmm. go to the hip hop, I'm like, blah. 
So what I knew talking with my teachers was that I had been trained to navigate whiteness. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. My whiteness. Right. As a right. self weapon. And I was just like, no. oh, this is interesting. I hear what they're saying. So if I just step slightly to the left and use this particular language, now that I have to learn it, you become an annoying frustration because then that person on the other side recognizes that you understand no, what this game is. Oh my God. I watched that happen so many times with our faculty <laughs> and you. It was it was like a dance. Yeah. But they don't understand. I mean, I think the thing for me about whiteness is that many, many people you talk to don't understand. Who are people, you know, like that, that's where I think it often becomes a complication. Like when I, I have often in workplaces been considered sort of, you know, like uppity and talkative and the angry brown woman and all of that kind of stuff, uh, because they don't like in a lot of very, very white spaces, they do not like direct conflict. That's also why people hate you on the internet. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. People hate me on the internet. Seema, Seema, in my debate. <laughs> I could see the line of direct conflict. And when I tell you these teachers would then sidestep it because I was like, one more step and you're in the trap. Like, what is so funny to me is that I what I think is interesting yeah. is that to me, direct conflict is the fastest way to solve this problem. Oh my God. Like That's just tell me what you exactly. want. Like, like just tell me what you want, I'll do it. Like some like, you know, in this like not in not in an intellectual situation, but like in a work situation. Uh -huh. Yeah. Don't like get me like you know like I worked for a guy who was a um, who's one of my least favorite categories of, of employment um, self help coaches <laughs> and um, you know he was always oh my god he told me that I had no emotional intelligence because I wouldn't agree with him oh it's like when men accuse you of having no can... sense of humor when you don't laugh at their jokes. It's oh, like, I know. No, you're just he, not funny. He also was a, he's a gay man. And so he told me he, my husband, I had him on speaker. So my husband heard him say it. Uh. I can say that you're problematic, even though you're a brown woman, because I'm a gay man. And I was like, oh, wow. See, that's that liberalness mm. I talk about, Sophie. <laughs> Tender queers. God, we love them so much, don't we? Oh, oh my God. God. I was like, dude, I just, you're wrong. That's why I don't agree with you. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Then oh I was God. pulled aside and told, my critiques are perceived as aggressive. Oh, yeah. Right. Because. Who said that to you? In business school, when a person critiques you, like if you get a critique in business school, uh -huh. Your role is to be like, come back and defend it because yes. that's the difference between you getting that's the budget right. money and the other person not getting the budget money. Ugh. It is so different. I'm now in a in a business, and you're supposed to like do it, and I'm like, I don't like I'm like I'm all of a sudden <laughs> gone from being like the real uppity like aggressive one to being like Seema, like my boss will sometimes like I don't understand what you mean. Tell me what you mean and what yes. you want, and I'm like. I, I don't, uh, what? <laughs> exactly. And so I was just told, you know, people feel like if they critique you, you're going to have a response. And I'm just like, aren't I supposed to? And then it's like, no, you're just supposed to listen and take in all the feedback. And I'm like, well, I'm not getting feedback. I'm getting bullshit. I guess the, the statement made to me was when people make comments on my work, other people are afraid 
because of how aggressively you would push back. I would push back. And yeah. I would consider that personally in my head. That's a light. Uh, oh, I know. When that's people, a light like, I was like, what? You, you people don't even, like, you should join an Asian family. Like, yeah. are you kidding me? This is aggressive. It's like, uh, that's actually my life glove touch. If I was to go full on, people then would be crying. Oh my God. <laughs> I do think like one of the things I was talking to a colleague the other day because somebody we work with is um, is from a foreign country that is unnamed. Let's leave it unnamed. Very nice person. But they say things like, that's just wrong. <laughs> and, and like, which to me, like, I, I was saying it's funny because I, I work with them, mostly people of color. And so I said, it's so funny to me now because like a white person would have would just like crumble. Have I think a breakdown. Some of the things, would yeah. have a breakdown. And I was like, yeah. oh, I get it. They're just foreign. Like, I don't care. <laughs> you know, like it does not. It just like. But like, you know, like I don't like I grew up in a fam like Asians are just not yeah. nice. Right. Like I was always told like, you know, like my cut, my mom, you know, my grandma used to say, well, yeah, you're not you're not very pretty, but at least you're not dark. <laughs> or that dark. I'm not I'm not light, so I'm not that dark, I guess. <laughs> my my grandmother was the same. She would yeah. say you're probably not going to be married and let me make sure <laughs> you know how to cook. And so when I say to myself, if she say that to a child today, like I would say, I know. How would you handle that. Because for in her head, she was just simply saying, "I need to make sure you're okay." Yeah, I heard the world in whatever her way was. No, that's right. <laughs> we have a we have a family friend who um, is a, is like a grown up, and he would uh, he sometimes babysat mm-hmm. our kids, and he's Indian but Catholic, and so his mother used to always say, "Well, hopefully, you know, we've we've taught him to cook, and he'll be a priest." <laughs> exactly. Like, I mean, now he's out and like he has a husband and they have a house. Everything's, you know, but like back when we were kids, like you didn't know that. Like that didn't, you know, this before like marriage or whatever. And, you know, I don't care if you want to get married or not. He did really want to get married. But, um, but, you know, it's like a thing where now I don't think you could say that. Oh my God, GP. Right? Like you would never. You have, but like, yeah. Or like, or the idea that there's so many things though that I think make you stronger. Like, like, I don't, I, I think what you said about your grandmother is true about my grandmother, too. She wasn't saying, like, you're a horrible human being. Yeah. She was just saying, like, study hard, Seema. That's yeah. where you want to, like, study hard. You're going to want to succeed on your own. Like, <laughs> practical, very right. practical advice. Seema, you are not going to be a stay-at-home girlfriend. Focus on school. Like, they that's shoot what she from was the saying. hip, right? That's right. You're and good. I, yeah. Right? Like, I, I don't know, like, it's hard because now you're supposed to so cause it your kids even. No. Like, one of the things I think is so interesting is that you're not supposed to say, like, we, I, I don't particularly do this, but um, you're not supposed to say to your daughters that they're pretty. Right? They're smart. You're supposed to talented, all these things. But you're not supposed to say they're pretty. Oh. But that has so much value yeah exactly. that also hurts it's for right, the like, I was like when i read that years ago when i read that in a parenting magazine i was like great so your kids will definitely think they're ugly then yeah like, like, <laughs> I was like, that's smart <laughs> that's, that's i think you just have to 
place emphasis on all the things that make them wonderful. Right, 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 like, right. Like, that's right. so bizarre. It's such a bizarre thing, right? It's, like, such a weird... But but what we're doing is we're just experimenting on our children. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> you're up against a multi-billion dollar L'Oreal campaign. Absolutely. For, for beauty. So that's why I... That's why art school was weird to me because I was just like, you're busy telling me beauty doesn't matter and there is a multi-billion dollar industry right next yeah. to me saying it does. That's right. That's right. But also it's like, you know, a huge part of what influences art and what we perceive oh, to absolutely. be worthy of looking at and beautiful. Like as absolutely. if it's just fucking bizarre. It was such a bizarre experience. It was such a bizarre experience. Um, uh-oh. It was wild, Sophie. Dude. How do we survive? I, I just, it's it's so, it's so shocking to me how, like, I can sit down with, you know, someone who's worked in the museum industry for almost 30 years, and we can have this conversation where it's like, 25. No, sorry, 25. Come on. I'm rounding up to make you sound more impressive. Or <laughs> oh, old. No. As soon as she said it, I read your face. I was like, that was received as age. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. No. I mean, because like 25 I'm teasing. Cause I'm teasing. The, no, but like the amount of work that you have to do as like a woman of color in those spaces, you may have done oh, like 40 years of work. Yeah, that's um, That is true. That is true. <laughs> I'm, I'm showing your value. Um, <laughs> So what, like, one of the things that kind of is so shocking to me is that we can sit down and we can have this conversation where we can say, oh, no, you have your work that exists, like, in the art world, and then you have to figure out a way to either use elements of that to support yourself and figure out how to, like, live in proximity to your art or figure out a way to kind of do it on the side of, you know, having a day job. And that was a conversation that was never, ever ever allowed to happen in grad school and one of the things that we do when we bring artists in to kind of talk about their practice and you know how they how they live in the world I guess um because you're you're quite good at business Jane like you did you went and did a whole life and career in business before you were in the arts and I'm wondering if there's the way that we kind of language it is there's like the big A art world of contemporary art where you're likely to make fuck all, right? And then, and then there's the little A, which is for me, you know, my portraiture practice, you know, the, you know, photo stuff I do on the side. It's, you know, the teaching jobs that I do. So I'm wondering well, if there's any part of your journey or your structure that you'd like to share with us. I think how you operate. I think, you know, in art school, capitalism is made to be the big bad wolf. Uh-huh. We gotta we gotta fight against capitalism. Just like who's paying these lights? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like why is the air working? Like yeah, uh-huh. I get it. Capitalism. I get that debate. What I felt was robbed, and then when I look at every art program, what I feel is being robbed for all art students is the ability for them to have a conversation as a small business. Yep. Because we entrust them to galleries who are businesses. We entrust them to museums that are businesses who all have their own individual agendas. Yep. If the artist is informed how to move as a business, I think over time, we'll see more artists reap the rewards of their work and not have sold up 
a painting for like $50,000 or $25,000. And then, you know, 30 years from now, you see some investor <laughs> moving that work for a mill. Whenever I see that happen, I'm always curious about the artist got paid X amount of dollars, but this investor got exponentially this amount of money. And that's when I upset, I almost say her name, when I upset <laughs> one of the teachers because I said, oh, once I got it inside the art program, I said, oh, we are stuck. Uh -huh. We're stuck. And she said, what do you mean? I said, we are stock trading right now for pennies. And depending on the work you do, the linkages you make, the relationships you develop, you could go from a penny to being worth $50 a share. And whoever controls the most shares when it's time to sell out is the person who gets all the money, not necessarily the artist. And she looked at me like I had a third head, but I said, oh, I understand now. So I don't care what anybody says anymore because I understand this is an investment experience and the artist should be educated on how to be their own best investment. You know, I think that what you're talking about um, in terms of the art world is in, it's, sorry, in terms of museums and stuff, I think that one thing that is tough is they cloak all of it into this idea of history and knowledge. And so what it does is like in stocks and in business, one thing I really like about the business world is that there's no b bullshit. <laughs> Our job is to make money. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, I don't, I don't want And everyone's in... honest about that. Everyone's no one's super honest about, honest about that in the about art that. world. No, and like... Everyone's super honest about that. Now, like, I do, you, I do kind of the same stuff I did at museums. So I do UX and, you know, stuff like that. And I, I don't always, like, there's things I don't, I find really <laughs> dumb about the art world, about the business world. Like, one of the things I think is funny is that everything is supposed to in, in, incur like profit, you know, like, and I'm like, you know, friends, you still need a foundation. And so they often like screw up the foundation because they're not, they, they're like, I can't fix this because it's not going to bring in conversions. And you're like, well, yeah, but it's actually going to decrease conversions, which is losing money. So like you have to like show them how everything's money, which is like a kind of funny thing because they don't understand what nonprofits inherently understand. It's just that you have to basically buoy up your foundation of knowledge and content and stuff like that. Uh, like your brand. You know, nonprofits really understand brand. Yeah. Uh, but what I think that I often think about with what you said, my husband was noticing, and I don't know who the name of the artist is, some contemporary artist who apparently is very well known, but I didn't know the person um, because we'd like, like very different kinds of art. He is a, my husband's a lithographer. And okay. He was saying that, oh, this is really crazy. Like he had a gallerist for a long time and now he doesn't have a gallerist and he sells it himself through online, even though he's a really well-known artist. And he does it because he wanted to not have that cut taken out. And I think that one thing that is hard is that in museums, we pretend like we're outside of value. Like, I don't know the value. I never look at the insurance value. I don't want to know the value of the art, right? Because it keeps me un supposedly unbiased. But in some ways, it, it allows me to be like an agent of capitalism, right? Like a, yeah. an agent of this. It's not the capitalism. I think you're right. Capitalism exists and it's just how it life is. But it's an agent of basically um, abusing or like taking advantage of these artists. Yeah. 
I wasn't supposed to see that yet, apparently. I wasn't supposed to make that distinction in my two years. I was supposed to make that <laughs> distinction like 10 years into my art career. After somebody had profited off of you. Not, <laughs> like, I when you were still young and dumb. <laughs> yes. Wait, so just, is that the line from that Talib song, Young and Dumb? <laughs> that's why I felt bad for all of, and I sort of became a protector of the younger them. Because I was just yeah. like, this isn't about me. This isn't about me, this is about them. This is about what they need to know. And then all conversations about any business or internet or mm -hmm. social media classes, all that shit died. Mm -hmm. The moment yeah. they realized he's going to be possibly a problem. Yeah. But, but you know, it's also to me, one of the, the actors of this major kind of conspiracy, I don't, I don't know if it's conspiracy, I think structural system that I, I find particularly problematic is the group you're talking about, which is professors. <laughs> you know, like, I think that uh, I find them to be so challenging because it is like the ultimate pyramid scheme. I got through art school. I realized that if I want to make art, I need to find a day job. Here's a great day job where I basically can just keep making art. <laughs> yes. yes. And all I have to be is an asshole to other people yes. and gatekeep. Like, that's the only thing that I have to do. Of what? Hundred <laughs> per cent. I mean, there uh, are great professors, and I like. I can think of so many professors mm. who I truly like. I like. You know, actually, there's like there's a there's a woman who would be great on this podcast who I adore, and um, who's a draftsman here at Cleveland Institute of Art called Amber Kempthorne, and she, you know, one of the things I really love about her is how she talks about her students and how like much she loves her students. And mm -hmm. um, and I always thought when I would when I speak to her, she chose to do this. Like it's not like the system decided to make sure she's like this. That she is an amazing human and so therefore an amazing teacher, but not because, and her art is quite beautiful. She's a draftsman um, who does like realism, but like this sort yeah, of yeah. poetic kind of dreamy realism. And, um, but, when you hear her speak about her students, and I've known a lot of um, artists who are great artists and great teachers, and I do think it's a minority who are not, but it isn't anything about the system that picked the good teacher to be a teacher. It was like this good human being chose to be a teacher. And knew someone who was already running the program. Not time. in these cases. Not in these, this case. Not okay. in Amber Kempler's case.